Uh, great story. Thank you, kids, for coming up here and listening. Uh, I have another question, and maybe uh, the same children that were just up here want to answer this question also, but you're going to have to say it really loud because my ears aren't very good. So for children and for adults, um, just kind of shout it out. What is your favorite Old Testament Bible story? Keep going. Told you I couldn't hear, so just keep going. Job? Heard, heard that one? Jonah? See? Joseph? Daniel in the lion's den? Esther? Esther said Esther, thank you. I heard that. Anybody else? So I, um, I simply typed Old Testament stories into my image search in my computer, and here's what came up. Number one, da-da-da-da-da-da, something like that, drum roll. There you go. First image that came up, what's the story? Daniel in the lion's den. Les gets a prize. Um, then, this is actually all I wanted, but secondly, I had to, uh, because I kind of, actually I didn't think that this would be number one. I actually think this would be two, three, or four down the list. I thought the one that came up second for me was actually going to be number one, so I had to go there also. Um, number two in my computer was David and Goliath. I actually thought that would probably be number one, but it was, but it was number two. Um, so, back to Daniel. Jesse uh, has been preaching this summer from the book of Daniel. Uh, it's actually not hard to like the book of Daniel. It has some really, really cool stories in it. Stories that kind of fit, I would say, I um, hope I say this right, uh, the modern day drama slash documentary slash entertainment world. Uh, pretty good, the stuff in, in Daniel. Number one, you have um, underdogs winning against power brokers. So that's kind of a, a feel-good uh, story. You've got some mysterious... Um, kind of paranormal stuff going on, um, unsolved mysteries, ghostly encounters, FBI files, etc., other, other shows come to mind. Um, you mix in a little bit of politics and a little bit of religion, and you actually have, put that all together, and you actually have some pretty good entertainment type stuff. Uh, like I said, not hard to like Daniel and the stories in Daniel. Uh, you read far enough into the book, actually, and then you kind of go into this, this prophetic future world and it actually feels almost a little bit like some science fiction type stuff. And so, and so lots of good entertainment value, uh, modern-day entertainment value in, in the book of Daniel. All of these ingredients, ingredients make for some, some pretty cool stories, and Jesse got to preach about all of them. And I enjoyed those messages. And I think Jesse told you a couple of weeks ago when he preached here last that that message from Daniel was the last one in the series. Almost true. He thought it was the last. And it was his last. But here's the thing. As I was listening to him all summer long, I was keeping track of all the things that he was missing. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true at all. Not at all. He, he did a fantastic job. Um, but what happened is... As he was preaching, I was kind of, something was emerging for me, kind of this big overall 
theme or themes in the book of Daniel. He did a great job of grabbing each one of these individual stories and making them really relevant, bringing them to life for us. And for me, as I was sitting there, there was this, this overarching theme or themes that were kind of emerging and, and evolving. And, um, and then he had already asked me if I would preach this Sunday because they were going to be on holidays. And I asked him if he would be okay if after he was done with his last message in Daniel, I would share with you some of those overarching kind of general themes that had emerged for me as he was speaking. And he, of course, gave me the go-ahead. And so here's my question uh, that, that, that's going to help us, I hope, move towards some of these big general overarching themes. Is the story of Daniel prophetic as a story? Now, often we would call something prophetic when someone is speaking, when they are foretelling the future. That's kind of how we often view prophecy or, or prophetic. Um, in the Bible, it's actually much more than foretelling the future. It is calling the people to live faithfully in relationship with the one true God. And then it has a little bit of an element about the future as part of true prophecy. But prophecy itself is much bigger and all-encompassing than simply foretelling the future. It's calling people to live faithfully in relationship with the one true God. But it's primarily, or at least we view it, primarily as dialogue. Somebody talking to you. Somebody telling you about the future, so it's dialogue. I'm asking, is the story, the whole story of Daniel, prophetic or prophecy? Oh, and by the way, um, please don't turn me off just because I'm using this, this word prophetic. Stick with me a little bit. At least give me, give me a chance. Um, in fact, maybe, and I might be digging my hole deeper here, uh, maybe the word prophetic isn't even quite right for where I want to go. Maybe it is allegorical. Now, allegory is when a poem or story or picture can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. Now, I'm not sure I'm actually making this any better for you. Now I'm telling you that I'm going to try to mix prophetic and allegory. Um, and I know that already is a bit of a stretch. Besides that, there are actually two concepts that I don't understand very well. Uh, so, so this could be interesting or very much the opposite. Um, I want to convince you to stick with me. Listen, keep listening for a little bit. Give me a chance and I'm totally open to your critique when, when we're done. So here we go. Um, Big picture story of Daniel. Whole book. Is this more than just a historical story? Is this story opening the window and foreshadowing something? Giving us a lesson about life and a hint about what is to come? Here are a couple questions. Or a couple observations. In the Daniel story, could it be that Daniel represents the future Jesus? And do Daniel's friends represent all the future followers of Jesus, from his disciples all the way down to us sitting here today? 
What makes me even suggest that as a possibility? Number one, Daniel and his friends find themselves in a foreign land. They find themselves living in a foreign land, a place that is not their home. And they engage in and do life in this foreign land. They're actually from Israel, and they do life in Babylon. Now, you could actually not have two locations that are more opposite from each other, both uh, uh, physically and symbolically, than Israel and Babylon. Israel was, was symbolically the place, the nation, the group of people that were God's chosen. They were the good. They were the righteous, symbolically, not always physically, symbolically. And then you have Babylon, which is the complete opposite. Symbolically, Babylon was um, evil. It was the place where everything was anti-God and, and worldly and evil. So you have Daniel and his friends who, who lit their, they should be living in Israel, in the good, in the righteous. And here they find themselves living in the world, in, in the evil, anti-God world. <clears throat> I'm suggesting that this idea symbolizes uh, Jesus and his followers all the way down to us again. There's all kinds of terminology in the New Testament that speaks in this direction. We are living here, but this is not our real home. I think in, in some of the HGTV um, uh, renovation stories, etc., they talk about a forever home. This is not, we're living here, but this is not our forever home. This is not the place that we really want to put roots down and actually really, really live long term. It's so all kinds of terminology in the New Testament that speaks in this direction. This past week, we've already mentioned it here a few times, uh, at Jen's funeral on Thursday, we were looking through some references from the book of Philippians. Um, and at one place in Philippians, uh, Paul speaks about, or he says it like this in chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is over here, but we find ourselves living over here. We're living on this earth. We're living in, quote-unquote, Babylon. Another place Paul talks about um, us being his ambassadors here on earth. Now, an ambassador is a person whose citizenship is in another country, but they are living over here, and while they're over here in this foreign country, they're representing their home country. And so Paul speaks about us, Christ's followers, being his ambassadors. That means we're living in a foreign country representing our, our home country, representing our homeland. Uh, I remember a song. Some of you that are older like me would maybe remember it also. Uh, there's a song that used to be sung at funerals quite often. Um, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Um... And it goes on. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about. This world is not my home. I am a foreigner here. In John chapter 17, Jesus is speaking about and praying for his future followers. And he says, they are not 
of the world any more than I am of the world. And then he says, but, he's praying, and he says, but I do not ask you, he's talking to his father, to take them out of the world. I just ask you that you would protect them from the evil one while they're living in the evil world. And so don't, and so we've come up with a phrase, we are in the world, but not of the world. That's kind of what we're talking about. We are living here, but really we're from here. And we want to go back over here again. So I'm saying, uh, Daniel and his friends find themselves living in a place that is not their really forever home. But then, I find, it this, I find this part very interesting and helpful again. I find it interesting to take a look at how they do life while they are living here. While they are living in Babylon, knowing that it's not their forever home, living physically in a foreign country, a very ungodly country at that. This was actually a very big deal back then. So what does living in an ungodly foreign world look like for them? And are there any helpful ideas for us as we think about this concept? I find this very interesting. They find a way to live this crazy balance between engaging in this world and still keeping their faith. I find it really interesting when Jesse spoke on chapter 1. He was highlighting how Daniel and his companions, they're in this new land. And they're young men. They were in the new king's palace together with local, many uh, local young men that showed promise of being high achievers. And they were going to be groomed to become servants in the king's court. And they were going to get this, this special education. They were taught the language. They were taught the literature. They were taught the culture of the Babylonians. They were given new Babylonian names. And they were going to be given this special food and drink. All of that in this, uh, this anti-God, evil uh, Babylon. Here they were being given all of this foreign stuff, we could say maybe ungodly stuff, would be put into their lives. And this is what I find interesting. Much of it, Daniel and his companions had no issue with. And a few things they did. Daniel and his friends decided that learning the new language is okay. Learning the new literature was okay. Taking new names was okay. But they drew the line with the food and the drink that the king was offering them. And they asked, very respectfully I might add, if it was okay if they did not partake in this special food and drink. Now, I think there would certainly be literalists around, well-meaning people, that would try and decipher exactly why it was the food and the drink that they decided to take an issue with, uh, and not the other stuff. I don't find that very helpful. Um, I don't actually think that that's what we should be focusing on. I don't actually think it does us much good. I think it just leads to a more legalistic, judgmental, actually, way of thinking. Judging each other, judging ourselves, etc. Rather, what I heard was this. In a worldly world, where there's unlimited worldly influence bombarding us all the time, all kinds of worldly opportunities, and the world is beckoning us to come and participate in all of it, 
Just know you will need to draw the line somewhere. That's all I'm saying. Somewhere between completely separating ourselves from the world, something that some Christians have actually tried, doesn't actually work. Somewhere between complete separation from the world and full participation in the world, somewhere in between there, you and I, who are citizens of another country, we are going to have to draw the line and say, this far and no farther for me. Now, here's the thing. Your line might not be exactly where my line is, and vice versa. Uh, now let's just make a deal. I won't be critical of your line. Don't be critical of my line. Because it's actually not exactly about where you draw the line. It's about the fact that you, in your desire to honor God and reflect the fact that this is not your forever home, in honor of the fact that you will not participate in everything that the world is beckoning you to participate in, somewhere you will draw the line. And I'm going to say, way to go. Stand strong. Stand strong. And here's what I encourage you to say. Because it's always going to be easy for somebody else to come along and point a finger at you and say, you're lying. How in the world do you draw your line where you draw your line? That makes no sense. It's always very easy for somebody else to shoot holes in your, in your, um, on your stance. It'd be just as easy for you to shoot holes in theirs. Don't worry about that. Here's what I encourage you to say. In your heart, not necessarily verbally. Because in my desire to honor God and recognize the sinfulness in this world, and that my true citizenship is in heaven. That's where I draw the line. And I will say way to go. Stand strong my friend. Because all of us have to draw the line someplace. Make sure you draw your line someplace. So here's Daniel and his friends. They're living in a foreign land. Uh, just like Jesus and his disciples just like you and me, here's the thing. Uh, Daniel and his friends engage. They live long, successful lives in Babylon. They serve the king. Daniel, and I'm assuming his friends also, actually serve three different kings while they're living in Babylon. They've got a long life, and they serve the king well. I think we could say they were successful in Babylon in many ways. They engage in life while they are living in Babylon. All the while, they are not shrinking back into the back corner of the country someplace saying, well, this is not my home, I don't really want to be here, and I can't wait to get out of here, and so I'm just going to go by myself, and I'm going to try and make sure that the evil world doesn't bombard me, doesn't hit me, and doesn't take control of me, and I'm just going to sit here by myself and not do anything, and just hope sooner or later I'm going to be rescued out of here. That's not what they do. They engage. They engage in life in Babylon. They become involved. They make a difference again and again. So what Christians have done over the years, they have engaged and they've made a difference in our Babylon, in the world that we live in, 
It's what the story of Daniel illustrates. It's what Jesus illustrated when he came later on. He was living someplace that was his Babylon, that was not his forever home. While he was there, he engaged. Daniel lives his life in Babylon to the full. But he doesn't compromise his faith. And that's the balance that I'm talking about. He engages, he lives his life to the full, but he doesn't compromise his faith. He continues to stand strong in his faith. And I'm going to say, like Jesus, like Daniel, we must get into the world, engage, make a difference, all the while recognizing, reminding ourselves, this is not my homeland. This is not my forever home. Daniel's three friends have to draw the line again in chapter 3. That's the story of the huge idol and the, and the statue and the fiery furnace. It's interesting wording, actually, that the accusers use here against Daniel's three friends in, Jan, in chapter 3, verse 12. They go to the king and they accuse them, saying, these, uh, these guys, Daniel's friends, they accuse them, saying, They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. They will not bow down to this world. We could spend all day talking about that. Jesse did a great job of that a few weeks ago. Chapter 6 is the amazing story of Daniel in the den of lions. Les's favorite Old Testament story. Again, Daniel refuses to bow down to the king of this world. And give him the place in his life that is reserved for God alone. Reminds me so much, this story of Daniel in the lion's den... And what came of it reminds me so much of the story of Jesus when he was tempted by the devil. Right? What did the devil want him to do? The devil wanted him to, if you will only bow down and worship me, I will give you almost the exactly same thing that the king says to Daniel. I want everybody to just bow down and worship me and then you can have. And Daniel says, it's not going to happen. Daniel clearly continues to serve all of these kings well. Otherwise, he would not time and time again have been asked to take positions of authority and leadership. But he will not allow anything in this world to become his God. No promised positions, no power, no gold, no popularity, no favors from the worldly king. At one place, Daniel actually says, tells the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. And give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will interpret for you the writing on the wall. Nothing in this world will become my God. Because I know that my home is elsewhere. And I am not going to get sucked into treating this as my ultimate home. Despite the fact that I'm engaged here. Then, the second aspect of the Daniel story that emerged as a theme for me. And as I thought about it more, began to take the shape of either, like I said earlier, prophetic or allegorical or maybe a little bit of both, was the repeated mention of supernatural messages in the book of Daniel. And Daniel, being the sole person who was able to interpret those messages, the only one that was able to interpret the truth captured in that confusing message, in chapter 2, it's King Nebuchadnezzar. He has a dream. We're going to call it, I hope I didn't say something that people don't like, because it looks to me like half the people are leaving. I, I told you you could critique me later. 
Stick with me. Blessings on you, by the way. Have a good day. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. We're going to call it a confusing message from the paranormal world. And he wants to know what it means. So here's what it says. He calls all the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers in his kingdom. And they can't do it. This makes him mad because he's the king and the king gets whatever he wants, whether it makes sense or not. And so he commands that all the wise men in his kingdom be executed. Whoa! This includes Daniel and his friends. And so Daniel goes to the king and tells him, give me a little time and I will interpret the dream for you. Daniel goes back to his friends and tells his friends, this is what it says, plead for mercy from, God of, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And during that night, the mystery was revealed to him, and he interprets the dream for the king. Gives God credit in front of the king, and all the wise men in the country are saved. Chapter 3 is the story of the fiery furnace. Chapter 4, the same king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has another dream, another confusing message from the paranormal world. Listen to what it says, chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. And you go, King Nebuchadnezzar, didn't you learn? Didn't you learn from the last time? There's someone who can interpret this for you. Finally, it says, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. And Daniel interpreted it for him again. You would think that maybe by now he would go directly to Daniel. Nope. He goes back to those mentioned earlier, the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners. Finally, just like the last time, Daniel comes in and interprets the dream. Chapter 5, the kingdom is passed on to King Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. I guess they kind of like Zeds in their, uh, in their name giving. Nebuchadnezzar, two Zeds, Belshazzar, two Zeds. And by the way, do you know what Daniel's Babylonian name was? Belteshazzar, also two Zeds. So I guess Zeds is the thing in there. Kind of like years ago, it felt like Y was a thing when our kids were growing up. Everybody's kids all had Y in their names somewhere. Uh, Carrie and Barb and us, we, we missed out. But everybody else, uh, their kids uh, had Ys in their name, was the going thing. Here it's Zeds. Zed. So here's this new king. Throws a crazy party, intentionally disrespecting the God of Israel and Jewish people. Jesse talked about that a few weeks ago. And while he's partying, this hand appears on the wall. And it begins to write a message on the wall in his party room. Another confusing message from the paranormal world. And what does this king do? You're going to see it in chapter 5 or 7. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought in. And he, like his dad, hadn't learned. And like the other times... Verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. 
Finally, the queen remembers. Hey, I remember. This also happened to your dad a few times. There's this man, Daniel, out there. And again, he was able to bring clarity to these confusing message. Daniel is brought in, interprets the confusing message. This happens over and over and over. Now, what is the prophetic message or the allegory behind this? How about this? In their world, they always kept on trying to do it their own way. To interpret and figure things out the worldly way. Again and again, it was Daniel that brought clarity to their confusion. Can we say, Daniel represents Jesus? Consider this. There are limitless, confusing messages in our world. Always have been. But perhaps never more so than with the onslaught of social media. You hear one thing over here, and the exact opposite over there. And you thought you understood, and then you read a little more, and it just becomes more and more confusing, and you go... Some of you woke up. What's going on? And you have these, all these confusing messages. Here's my question. Whom are you consulting when it comes to all the confusing messages in your world? Whom are you asking to help you bring clarity to the doubts and the confusion and the mess of mixed messages that this world is throwing at you? Who are the enchanters and astrologers and diviners and wise men in your world? Why not go straight to Daniel? I, I, I mean Jesus. This confusing message, these confusing messages coming from many different sources... The world throws confusing messages at you, doing its best to bombard you. The value of money, the importance of power, the pursuit of knowledge, the lure of sex, the worship of self. Is it too simple to say, quit consulting the magicians and diviners and astrologers and wise men of this world and consult Daniel? Humble yourself and read and study the life and teaching of Jesus. Consult with his Holy Spirit, whom it says in John chapter 14 to 16, he will be your counselor and guide you into all truth. It's in John chapter 16. Our own minds and hearts do their best to give us confusing messages also. I need to be affirmed by my peers. I need to look good and have it all together or else nobody will like me. I don't matter. I need to be perfect. I don't care what anyone says from one extreme to another. Is it too simple to say, quit consulting the magicians and diviners and astrologers and wise men of this world and consult Daniel? Humble yourself and read and study the life and teaching of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. And then, here's a whole other section, category. Let's be honest. There are confusing messages given to us by the Bible. And our own journey of Christianity. How do grace and sin and love all fit together? Consult the life and teaching of Jesus what about the end times? How will it all be? There are people out there right now who are petrified that they will somehow get tricked into taking the mark of the beast. Stop! 
listen to the life and teaching of Jesus? Does it seem like Jesus is the kind of God that would try and trick you into hell? No. Jesus will do, as Twilight's finished saying, Jesus will do whatever he can to find you, to keep you out of hell. And so if you're struggling with some of the interpretation of some of the stuff in the Bible, what about Old Testament violence? Really? Did God really command genocide? Read the life and teaching of Jesus. Does it sound like Jesus is the kind of God that would command genocide? Then there's got to be another way to interpret some of that stuff. Read the life and teaching of Jesus. And allow the life and teaching of Jesus to be your source of truth. Quit consulting all the people that think they know it all. Listen to Jesus. And listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him guide you into all truth. I scoffed a little at the king earlier. Why wouldn't he go directly to the source of the answer? Why not go directly to Daniel? No, 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 no. He has to try it on his own first, again and again. And then I look at ourselves and I go, ah, we tend to do the same thing. We tend to first consult all the other possible sources of our solution. And then finally, oh, maybe I should consult Jesus. Maybe he has the answer to the confusing messages that come our way in this world. Let the life and teaching of Jesus interpret all the confusing messages of our world. There's other stuff in the book of Daniel. That's all we have time for today. Another big overall theme that I would love to explore sometime is the ultimate victory of good over evil. That's the last several chapters of Daniel give us a picture of that. But for this morning, engage in life here in this world. All the while recognizing, this is not my forever home. And secondly, let Jesus and his Holy Spirit bring clarity to all the confusing messages of this world. Amen.